I'd like to today, this is going to be part two in Psalm 37, and I want to look at once again the first 11 verses that kind of give us the context of this passage and this psalm. So follow along as I read, David writes, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you look will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we have today when we can gather in your name, when we can study your word here in this place. And Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would do a work right now in our hearts and in this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 37 was written by King David in his old years, in his old age. And in this psalm, he's giving advice to his son Solomon concerning how to respond and how to react when you see that the wicked are prospering. In fact, the opening verse in this psalm gives us sort of the heartbeat when David writes, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. And we noted in our study last time that that David was really echoing a sentiment that the prophet Jeremiah expressed in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, when Jeremiah wrote these words, Why do the wicked prosper? And we noted last week that sometimes that's how it can feel. As we look at what's going on in our world, it can feel like the wicked, those who are the ungodly, that they are the ones who are prospering. And David here is writing from his own personal experience. You see, there were two separate times in his own life where he experienced this very thing. The first took place when he was a young man. It happened when the prophet Samuel, God had directed the prophet Samuel to go to the city of Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse. And he told Samuel, I want you to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king in Israel. 
You see, God had grown tired of King Saul's rebellion, and he told Samuel, I am going to pick a man who is after my own heart. So as Samuel went down to Bethlehem and he went to the house of Jesse, God actually pointed out that this man, this new person that God was going to put his hand upon, who was a man after his own heart, was none other than Jesse's youngest son, David, who at that time was about 15 years of age, if you can imagine that. Well, it was shortly after that that David found himself on an errand for his dad going to the battlefield where the Israelites were in battle against the Philistines. And it was there that David, in the inspiration of the Lord, volunteered to go down and fight against the Philistine giant. And you know that story. He took him out. And after that, David became the assistant to King Saul, and he became, he was being raised up as this military leader. But as King Saul saw the hand of God upon David, he became very, very jealous. And we read there in 1 Samuel that there were several times where King Saul literally tried to kill David, and it forced David to flee for his life to run from the kingdom, and David would spend, scholars believe, somewhere between the next seven to ten years of his life living on the run, living as a fugitive, living out in caves with a group of men that God would bring to him, and that was a very difficult time in David's life. And from the Psalms, we get the sentiment that many times during that season, those seven to ten years of David's life, David would question, he'd wonder about the call of God upon his life. He'd wonder if God was really, really with him, and he wrestled with why the wicked were prospering. The second time this happened in David's life happened when he actually was the king there in Israel. And this time it would be his own son, his son Absalom, who would rebel against him. And Absalom would orchestrate a takeover of the kingdom. Absalom cleverly just, you know, drew some of the leaders and a lot of the people and some of the military leaders to himself. And it left David in a place where he was forced once again to flee for his life and to leave the kingdom as his wicked son was now thrust upon the throne. The wicked were prospering. And so when David writes Psalm 37, these are not just pithy words that he writes, but he's writing from his own personal experience. And David tells us here that there are two common reactions that we can have when we see the wicked prospering. The first is to fret, to become fearful where we wonder, is this ever going to stop, Lord? Is righteousness and justice ever going to win out? And we see in these first 11 verses that David tells us three separate times, do not fret. In verse 1, in verse 7, and in verse 8. But another reaction that David mentions is there in verse 1, and that's to become envious. Envious to the point where we are literally tempted to join the wicked. You know that phrase or that saying, if you can't beat them, join them. 
That's kind of the idea where we're looking at the wicked around us, the ungodly around us who are prospering, who are getting ahead. And we, we can think to ourselves, if that's the only way to get ahead, then I'm going to do that too. And so David is writing here, instructing us. And we noted in our study last time that he basically gave us two ways to combat those reactions of fretting or becoming envious. And the first was to look up, to look up. To cast our eyes upon the Lord, and this is where we spent the bulk of our time last week, by trusting in the Lord, he mentions in verse 3, delighting in the Lord, he mentions in verse 4, committing our way to the Lord, and we noted the idea of that was rolling all of our burdens onto the Lord, he mentions that in verses 5 and 6, and then resting in the Lord there in verse 7. When we see the wicked around us, the ungodly around us that are getting ahead, they're prospering, what do we do? Listen, we need to get our eyes off of the horizontal, off of being focused on the injustice that's going on around us, and we need to get vertical. We need to lift our eyes up to the Lord. We focus on the Lord. But then David said, not only do we look up, but we also need to look ahead. And David spends a better part of this psalm contrasting for us the destinies of the wicked and the righteous, of the ungodly and those who are seeking to follow after God. He contrasts their their destinies for us. And we looked at part of that last week, and I want to just kind of give you a summary this morning of what he does throughout this psalm, and we'll start with the destiny of the wicked. This is what he tells us. He says, they shall be cut down and wither away. He tells us that in verse 2. They shall be cut off. And I want you to notice he mentions that five times in this psalm, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 28, in verse 34, and verse 38, that they shall be cut off. And then he tells us that they'll be destroyed, or they're actually going to destroy themselves in verses 12 through 15. He mentions in verse 17 that they shall be broken, and then in verse 20 that they shall perish. That's the destiny of the wicked, of the ungodly, of those who don't want to follow God. The destiny, though, of the righteous, he lays out for us, is that they shall be satisfied in verses 4 and 25 and 26. And then he says this, that they shall inherit the earth. And he mentions that five times. Interesting. Of the wicked, he says, they shall be cut off. He mentions that five times. Of the righteous, they will inherit the earth. He mentions that in verse 9, in verse 11, in verse 22, in verse 29, and in verse 34. He tells us in verse 17 that the righteous will be upheld by the Lord. In verse 33, that they'll be protected by the Lord. And in verse 40, that they shall be delivered by the Lord. So as we contrast these two things, as you see on the screen, we we see this. The long view, the destiny of the wicked, it's not good. What's coming for them is not good. One of my mentors used to put it this way. For the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who's living for themselves, this world is as good as it gets for you. It's all downhill from here. 
But for the person who knows the Lord, oh man, this world, it's as bad as it gets for us. It's all upward from here. The future for the righteous is bright. When the Messiah comes, all things, the Bible tells us, are going to be made right. Now here at Calvary Vista, and Calvary Chapel in general, we are premillennial in our eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times events. And being premillennial means this. We believe in a literal return of Jesus Christ to planet Earth. We believe that Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, that he is going to reign for a thousand years. And we believe that it's a literal thousand years. So we believe that Jesus is coming again. Can I get an amen to that? And when he comes to this earth, he is going to overthrow the wickedness on this earth. And he is going to restore things to order. He's going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign on this earth. And what the earth is going to experience at that time is perfect peace and perfect justice. And during that time, Jesus is going to restore all things and renew all things to himself. And when David says that the righteous, that we are going to inherit the earth, one of the things that he means by that is that we have a part to play in the kingdom of the Lord. That we are going to rule and reign with him. This is part of our inheritance in Christ. That's the long view perspective that Jesus wants us to have as his followers. Remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, and when you pray, say this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, one aspect of that prayer is saying, Lord, come, come quickly, bring heaven down to earth. Lord, come and set up your kingdom here on planet earth. And so it's that heart's cry, but it's also a sentiment that in the meantime, while we're waiting, that we are seeking to advance the kingdom of God in every way that we can here in this world that we live. So David points out the long view for the wicked, for the ungodly, for those who are not following God, it's, it's bad. They're going to be cut off. But the long view, the destiny of the righteous, we're going to inherit the earth. We have a part to play in the kingdom of our Lord. Now, in light of that contrasting of destinies, what I want to do today is to focus on what David shares here in the second half of this psalm. He gives instruction for those who are wanting to follow God. He gives us some instruction concerning our way, our walk, and our words. And really what David is laying out here is this is the response or this is the reaction. This is what's going on and happening, will be happening in the person's life who is trusting in the Lord, who is delighting in the Lord, who is committing his ways to the Lord and who is resting in the Lord. It's going to have an effect on their way, on their walk. And on their words. So let's look at, first of all, he begins with the way. Verse 21. 
Again, another contrast. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. Here's what he's telling us. The wicked, they're takers. The wicked are always out for themselves. The wicked, the ungodly are looking for ways that they can get ahead and they don't care if they take advantage of others. They borrow and oftentimes they do it with no intention of ever paying back. The right, the wicked, they are takers, but the righteous, by contrast, are givers. And you see, the reason for that is our God, our heavenly father, he's a giver. In fact, he gave to us his very best, didn't he? When he gave to us his son, Jesus. And our heavenly father, he is a giver who is generous in his giving of grace and his giving of love and his giving of mercy and his giving of blessing. He is a generous giver. And for those of us who are following the Lord, he is seeking to mold and shape our lives to be givers as well. In fact, Jesus would make this statement. He, he would say, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He would say, this is something that you come to really discover as you're following the Lord, that the greatest blessing is in giving up, being a giver rather than in being a receiver. And so he's molding us and shaping us to be those who experience great joy in blessing others. You know, one of our core values here at Calvary Vista is we like to say that we believe that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. We believe God has blessed us for this purpose so that we can bless others. And so we are seeking that God would be building into us a culture of generosity in our church. And so here's how we've carried out this idea over this past year. Because of your generosity, we were able to help a church in New Jersey, right in the inner city, right in what they would call the hood, in a very gang-infested area. We were able to help give them funds to help them build a youth center where today hundreds of young people are coming every single week to hang out and hear about Jesus and having their lives transformed. That, that's, yeah, you can clap for that. That's part of our, our thinking. Okay, God has blessed us in order to be a blessing. This year we were also able to give some funds to a church in Santa Ana, another church right in the hood in a very poor area, a very dangerous area, a church, a Calvary Chapel there, Hope Alive Church that is making just incredible impact. We were able to give funds to help them buy chairs for the new sanctuary that they had just uh, moved into in this building that, get this, a year ago, somebody on that very street was shot and killed by a gang drive-by, right in front of where their church is now. What a great place for a church to be, right? And so through your generosity, we were able to help them give, uh, uh, get, give funds to help them buy these chairs for their fellowship. Through your generosity, we've been able to help build several homes down in Mexico 
for families in need. And we've seen several people in those families come to faith in Christ through the grace and the love of you. Some of you have gone down there and helped build those homes. Through your generosity, we were able to help thousands of people who were displaced by the war in Ukraine get out of the country and find shelter and get food and be exposed to the gospel. Through your generosity. Yeah, you can clap for that. Praise the Lord. I mean, this is God working through you guys. Through your generosity, we were help, able to help a church in Italy produce a musical CD for children where they put together and wrote all these songs to bring the gospel to these children. And this CD has now been distributed throughout churches all over Italy where these kids are learning these songs and learning about the Lord. And again, that came through your guys' generosity. And we've been able to help through your generosity, hundreds of people here in our own community who were in need of food and were struggling and have been blessed because of your generosity. Because we believe that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. So this is what David is telling us. The way of the righteous, they're givers, like their heavenly father. Jesus said that we are to store up treasures in heaven. And one of the ways that we do that is by being generous with our time and our talents and our resources. So the way of the wicked, they're takers. But the way of the righteous, we're givers. And then he talks about the walk in verse 23. Notice he says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of the Lord are ordered by the Lord. Here's what he's saying. When we are trusting in the Lord, when we are delighting in the Lord, when we are committing all of our cares and burdens, when we're giving those to the Lord, and we're resting in him, this is going to be the result. We're putting ourselves in this place to be led and directed by God. Where God begins to lead us and direct us. It's what Solomon would write there in Proverbs chapter 3, when he would say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths you know that verse but oftentimes we misunderstand that word acknowledge when he says in all your ways acknowledge him we we oftentimes we've talked about this before we, we think okay to acknowledge my way to god what i'm doing is that god here's where i'm going Lord, here's something that we're doing. Here's a ministry or an opportunity that we're stepping out in. Will you bless it? That's not what that word means. Literally, that word means this. In all your ways, know the Lord. So in other words, it's coming to a place where I'm saying, Lord, in all my ways, I want to know your heart. I want to have your heartbeat. I want to know your will in this situation. Lord, I'm seeking to know you in, in how you are directing. And notice he says when we're doing that, when we're trusting in him and seeking to know his heart, he will direct our paths. So as we're trusting and delighting and committing and resting, God is going to be directing us. But notice what David says next in verse 24. He says, and though he may fall. Here's what he's telling us. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes our faith can falter. 
Sometimes we struggle in our faith and in our trust. But notice what he says next. But he, that person that that falls, shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. This is such a beautiful picture. And what David is telling us here is although we fall, we don't fall away. He upholds us. He doesn't forsake us. And once again, David could speak of this from experience. You see, during that time, when he was living as a fugitive, on the run, hiding out from King Saul for those seven to ten years, there came a point toward the end of that time where David just couldn't take it anymore. He got so fed up and he lost hope that he actually bailed, if you can believe this. He literally left Israel and he went to go and live in the land of the Philistines, with the very, the biggest enemy of the people of God. And it was during that time that he actually, he, and he was leading his men into this as well, because when we backslide, there's always people, collateral damage. And so he's leading his people, his men into this place where he literally pledged his allegiance to the king of the Philistines. And it was during that time, it was 16 months that David lived in the land of the Philistines. The man after God's own heart. 16 months. During that time, there's no record of him writing any psalm. There's no prayers. There's no worship that's going on in his life during those 16 months. And he literally comes to the place where he is ready to join with the army of the Philistines and to go into battle against the people of Israel, the very people that God had called him to lead. That's how far he had fallen. But right before he was going to go into battle, the Lord allowed the Amalekites to come in and raid the village where David's And his men, their wives and their children were staying. David was off over here in Gath with the armies of the Philistines. And his, the village they lived in was, was about a two days journey away in Ziglag. And the Amalekites came in and they burned their houses to the ground. And they took their women and children captive. And David was broken. God used that to get his attention. And the fact that his men were so mad at him for having them off with the army of the Philistines, they were ready to kill David. And God intervened. And David turned his heart at that time back to the Lord. And the Lord strengthened him, and the Lord allowed him to recover all, and he would head back to Israel, and shortly after that, he would become the king in Israel. And this reminds us that our God, who loves us so much, is a God who pursues us. And when we stumble and fall and lose our way, he doesn't abandon us, but he seeks to uphold us. That's what David experienced. Now, I want you to notice what David says in verse 25, though. He says, I've been young and I've been old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. He is ever merciful and lends his descendants, or and his descendants are blessed. Now, David is sharing here from his own personal experience. That even in the worst of times, the most difficult of times, God's provision 
was always there. That was David's personal experience. But this is a verse that has caused consternation for a lot of Christians. Because they look at this and they say, well, I've actually seen, I've known some righteous people who got so bad they had to beg. Maybe somebody here has experienced that themselves. So he's saying, what is he saying here? Again, David is speaking, you need to catch this, from his own personal experience. This is what we would call a testimony statement. David is expressing what he experienced. So in other words, this isn't necessarily a biblical truth that God will never ever allow his own people to beg. But having said that, we are told in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, God says that he will provide for all of our needs. Now, here's where we oftentimes get mixed up. We have a, sometimes the tendency to get mixed up in concerning what are our needs versus our wants, right? And we have a tendency to think, man, I really, really want this. And we say, Lord, I need that. I need that, Lord. And he's like, no, you don't. You don't need that. In fact, I know that actually wouldn't be very good for you right now. It's a want and not a need. And this is what I've experienced, is that God is faithful. Listen to me. He is faithful to supply all of our needs. And if we're honest, our needs are pretty small. What we really, really need is pretty small. You see, I have been to many, many countries where I have seen great poverty. I've been to places like Africa and Central America and Costa Rica and Mexico. I've been to war-torn countries where people were really, really suffering. And this is what I have discovered is that God supplies always the needs of his people. And so I've met people in those countries who by our standards didn't have much of anything. And we're oftentimes eating things that, to be honest, none of us would ever want to eat. And this is what I found about those people. That they are some of the most joyful, grateful, appreciative, generous lovers and worshipers of God that I have ever come in contact with. So much so that... I get so convicted, like I just should never, ever complain again, you know, being around them. And when you get a chance to walk into that kind of situation, it really does have a way of putting things in perspective. And you see how what Paul said was true. God does. He's faithful to supply all of our needs. So the way of the righteous We're givers. The walk, our steps are ordered by the Lord. But let's talk about the words. Look at verse 30. The words. He says, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Listen closely. It says, the godly offer good counsel and they teach right from wrong. I like that. Now verse 31 tells us why that is. It's because the law of his God is in his heart and none of his steps shall slide. This is what David is telling us about the godly. It's not only are our steps ordered by the Lord, 
but so are our words because our words are connected to how the word of God is having its place in our lives. And I think one of the biggest marks of our maturity that we are growing in the Lord is that our words are beginning to be formed by the word of God. You see, the more that God's word gets into us, not just into our brains, but traveling from our brains, those 18 inches, down into our hearts, where it's really becoming a part of us, this is what happens. Our lives are being transformed. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12. Our lives are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that renewing comes through the Word of God. And so when your heart and mind are being renewed, something happens. It changes your attitudes. It changes your perspectives. You know, some of us used to say things like this. We'd get angry and we'd say, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind right now, right? And then something would come out of us that was so vicious and so hurtful and so horrible. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Remember what Jesus said? It's out of the abundance of the heart. What? The mouth speaks. So what's coming out of us is just revealing there's more heart renewal and change that needs to happen in us. But isn't it a glorious thing when you start responding to things differently than you did before? Isn't it awesome when something that normally would upset you and you would give somebody a piece of your mind, you don't do that? And suddenly what is coming out of your mouth resembles more the heart of Jesus toward that person and toward that situation. Why? Because your life is being molded and shaped by the one that you are trusting in and delighting in and committing your ways to and resting in. And it shapes. It has, his word has a way of shaping your tongue in the way that you talk. So he tells us here, the way of the righteous, oh, they're generous. The walk of the righteous, their steps are being ordered by the Lord. And the words of the righteous, oh, they're being from the word of God. And I remind you, what makes us righteous? It's not us. It's not us being good people. Now, the Bible says that we are justified by faith. We are, that we're justified means declared righteous by faith in what Jesus did. That's what makes us righteous, that we put our faith and trust in him and we're allowing him to work in our lives. Now, as we close today, I want you to see two reactions that David gives, two responses to this truth. Look at verse 27. We see the first one where he says, depart from evil and do good and dwell in the land. Depart from evil, he says. In other words, don't give in to evil. You see, that's the temptation. When we see that the Lord is delaying, when we see that the wicked are prospering, it's the temptation of our hearts to be able to say, I just can't handle this anymore. Like David did, I'm going to bail. And we get tired of waiting. And we turn to old things that used to hold us in bondage. 
We run to the world. We go back to the, to the old life. You know, I got saved during the Jesus People movement. And during that time, there was a lot of talk about the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church, and people were really excited about that. But when it didn't happen, because we're still waiting, a lot of those people that got saved during that time got tired of waiting. And they started, and I saw this, going back to the old life getting wrapped up in drugs and, and, and being you know, consumed by alcohol again and going just you know, giving themselves to following the, the old way. And somebody put it this way, that of those people, that they were very, very excited about the coming of the Lord, but not the Lord who was coming. That's the difference. We saw this a couple of years ago during COVID. People in our own church family, because it was so hard. And the isolation was so hard that people began to turn to things like alcohol abuse and drug abuse, going back to their their old ways and becoming in bondage again to, to things. In fact, I think there are some even right now who because of the difficult thing that you are going through in your life, there's that temptation, and you've given into it a little bit. You say, man, I just can't handle this. And you've turned back to an old vice in order to try to cope. Can I encourage you today to hear the words of David, to hear the heartbeat of your heavenly Father who says, hey, depart from evil and do good. Keep following the Lord. Don't get caught up in that. You see, what David wants us to understand is we don't have to wait till we lose everything to come to our senses. When David almost lost everything and the houses were burned and the families were taken, that was his prodigal son moment. That's when he came to his senses. He's saying, hey, learn from my example. Don't do that. Depart from evil and do good. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And doing good is the idea of living in a right way, but it also encompasses this idea of serving the Lord. Because one of the best ways for us to stay on track is to serve Jesus, to put our hearts and our minds towards serving him. So David says to us here, he says, first of all, depart from evil. That's the first response. And the second response we see in verse 34, he says, and wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Don't grow weary. Wait. Be patient. The Lord is on the throne, and the Lord is coming, and the Lord is working, and the Lord has got you. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, everybody say in due season, season. we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Wait on the Lord. We'll end with this promise. The prophet Isaiah, I'm going to ask the worship team to come out this time. Isaiah 40, 31, Isaiah said, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. Rest in the Lord. 
trust in his faithfulness and allow him today to renew you and to strengthen you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words of David. We thank you, Lord, that as we see this contrast between the ungodly, those who have rejected you, and the godly, those of us who are seeking to follow you, that the destiny of the ungodly, it's, it's dark. They're going to be cut off. And God, we pray. I pray if there's anybody here today that's in that place of not really walking with you, that they would turn their hearts to you at this time. But Lord, we are thankful for the hope that we have of the righteous that in you, that we have an inheritance, that we will inherit the earth, that we have a role to play in your kingdom. And so, Lord, we want to wait upon you, walk with you, serve you as we wait for your coming, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. As we just remain right now in this attitude of prayer, we're going to begin to sing a couple of songs. And if you're here today and you're fearful, the Lord would say, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Grab a hold of that. If you are weary today, The Lord says, hey, in due season, hang in there. You're going to reap. I see. I see your good works. I see your faithfulness. Hang in there. Maybe you're here today and you're frustrated because you just look at everything that's going on in our world and the Lord would say, hey, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes up to me and look ahead. I'm still on the throne. I'm still moving. I'm still working. But I think there's some of you here today who you've departed from the Lord and you've went back toward some vice. Maybe you've gotten wrapped up again in alcohol abuse or drug abuse. Some form of sexual immorality kind of numb the pain. God is saying to you today, depart from that. Turn from your sin and turn towards me. As we begin to just worship right now and take a little bit of time to just bring our hearts before the Lord, I want to invite you. I'm going to ask our prayer team people to come up. They'll be on the sides. And these folks are up front available. They want to pray with you today. About your situation. But maybe you just want to come and kneel down up front here in humility before the Lord and surrender to the Lord and bring your heart to the Lord. This carpet down here is padded. And it's a moment for you to just come and be real with the Lord. I think there's some though, some of you, that you went through that phase of departing, but you've come back 
but you've still been struggling and mainly you've been struggling a lot with condemnation. The enemy's been pounding you. The Bible says that in Christ there is no condemnation. And so God's saying, that's not, that's not my heart towards you at all. And he wants to restore you fully. In the same way that he restored Abraham when Abraham had a big lapse of faith and fell. Same way he destroyed, or restored Jacob when he had a big lapse of faith and fell. When he, same way he restored Moses who had a big lapse of faith and fell. Same way he restored David. Now there's always consequences. But God's heart of restoration towards you today is like he's, he's got his arms reached out in the same way that Jesus restored Peter after he denied him three times and then commissioned Peter to serve him. God wants to do that for some of you today if you'll just come to him.